0: I think I do need this one. I get in here between the piano and the podium. Good morning, and again, I I did not see the hands of those who are guests here on campus. Would you raise your hand so I can kind of see who all of you are? Usually seated over here, we are very glad to have you on campus. Hope you will have a wonderful day and uh, evening if you come to the concert and. Uh, Christmas season, a time of celebration, time of giving, time of thinking about Jesus Christ, and sharing in fellowship with one another. We're glad that you're here today. And it's good that I am not a preacher who runs, because I would be, <clears throat> I'd be pinned in this morning, but I am just fine. I'm looking forward, uh, tonight after the concert, alumni reception, we'll be gathering, and then Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, right, so 7.30 tonight. And four o'clock on Sunday, we are going to do something really special that we do each year um, in the spring semester, and that is this this chapel experience at North Central is a a very important part. It's not the only part, but it's a central part of the heart and uh, ministry of uh, North Central. And uh, as just we've experienced this morning, what a wonderful thing to come in and to spend some time in worship and uh, just break away from the cares of the day and the concerns, and I'm not going to name the concerns lest you start thinking about your concerns like the paper you haven't written, the test you haven't studied for. I don't want to take you back into all of those concerns, but to break away for an hour and to come into a place where corporately we can worship the Lord and receive strength for all of those cares and concerns of life. And um, one of the things I actually have this morning, I will likely read one little paragraph out of a book, Jonathan Edwards on revival. But one of the things that a, a church, a school, an organization an organization can contribute to the bigger picture of the church is not only just what happens here on a given day, but being able to share that with others. And so I, I will probably think I will read a quote from 1735. Now that's a long time ago, but the long-lasting value of the work of Jonathan Edwards and the great uh, First Awakening was not just what happened then, but how that was shared with two more centuries of people, and uh, something I can share with you today. Why do I mention that? Because experiencing what we have here at North Central is wonderful, but allowing others to get a taste of it is wonderful as well. So what we do is we record each year uh, our worship time, and we'll be doing that in January. We are preparing for it. And it's not a performance time. It's simply a recording of the things of God that are occurring here and to capture it. So we're looking forward to that. I think it's January 24 to 27. We'll be preparing for that, and I just wanted to alert you to that. We'll be saying some more, and we uh, be praying and preparing that uh, people who need to know and need to experience, especially young people who are making life decisions need to experience what we have here. So we will make that possible, not just by having them here, as our guests are, but also by sending it out by way of recording. Throughout the semester, I've been dealing with the subject of really the presence of God. Pentecostal people are people of the presence, a presence that affects the whole person. It will affect your mind. It will affect your emotions your body, and your will. It, um, it'll, it'll touch all of you. And um, the, some of the music that has uh, come out of the Pentecostal movement, it's all over me and it's keeping me alive, or I can feel it in my hands, I can feel it in my feet, I can feel it all over me. But what it means is the permeating presence of God will affect every part of you, not just your intellect. It's not just a theology, though it is a theology. But it's not just a belief system, and not just your emotions. There will be times when you will laugh and cry and shout with joy. Not just your body, there will be times you will stand up, sit down, and, and dance, and run around and celebrate physically, hands up, clapping your hands. Your will, a broken will made whole, a stubborn will made soft, and even as I've just rehearsed those four categories of our human makeup. We, wouldn't we want to say, dear Lord, just come and permeate all of me? And we sang it earlier, you can have all of me, all of me. And then we take an offering, except my money. <laughs> no? no, all of me, Lord. And the presence of God will affect the whole person. I've had a number of experiences in my life and ministry. Uh, a few stand out, and I'll share just one briefly now. I remember I was in a meeting down in Springfield, Missouri, and Tommy Reed, pastor of a great church in Buffalo, New York, was there preaching. And I I went to the service like we often go to services. You know, you you have your uh, briefcase or your purse, you have your little bottle of water, you have your cell phone, and you have your Bible. You just kind of come in, you sit down, and you begin to listen. And a lot of times we will perhaps go through services, and nothing that is a lifelong memory will occur. But sometimes you will have those events that create a lifelong memory. So I was listening, and I was paying attention. And, you know, I wasn't doing a video game, or I wasn't making a grocery list. I mean, I was pretty well engaged with the service. But he he said something. He said, Pentecostal people are like Moses. They are people who go to the mountain and then come down and try to describe what it is like to be with God I'll never forget that phrase because at that point I was so riveted by that image that I did tune out of the rest of the service. I took my Bible and I found the account of Moses going up to the mountain, meeting with God, asking for the glory of the Lord to be revealed to him, having God say, we can't do that, the power of the glory of God, even seeing God briefly is so powerful it'll kill you dead on the spot, so we won't do that, but I'll give you a brief glimpse of me as I pass by, and it'll change you forever. And that great event, Moses came off the mountain, the skin of his face was glowing because he had been with God, and the effort, the desire to try to describe what it is like to have been with God. It's much easier to describe what it's like to read about God. We can do that here. It's words, and we can employ language and logic and meaning, and we can describe what it is like to know about God or to talk about God. But that other part, to experience constantly the presence of God, it has been a theme through the fall semester and will continue uh, into the spring. I've raised the question, you remember the bracelet, what would Jesus do? It's a good question. It's a good bracelet. I don't know how many people are still wearing that bracelet, but um, it's a good idea that if you have a decision to make, ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? And then you try to do that very thing. That's a good thing. It's imitation. Paul said, imitate me, and we imitate Christ. But there's another kind of question that is a different question. And that is not what would Jesus do, but what would I do if Jesus were standing right by me all the time, and I knew it, I felt it, and I could see Him? That's a different question. What would I do? Because it is certainly true, when we feel that God is far away, or we don't feel His presence, or the sense of the working of the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, is, a, is a dead, cold, old memory to us, how we think, how we feel, what we do will be different than if He were standing right here, looking over my shoulder. And this is a way of helping us engage the idea of the constant presence of God. I'm going to share a few thoughts this morning and put up just one slide that I'm going to leave up through the entirety of the message and through the entirety of our prayer time. If we can get it up, is it there? I'm still in between my old glasses and my new glasses that I will get on Monday the 12th and hasten the day. There it is. This is a three-part framework that's very, very easy to remember, but it is loaded with meaning, and I really want you to get it. Three phases, now this would be sequential phases to spiritual renewal that lead to three permanent dimensions of spiritual life. Okay, can I say that again? Three sequential phases of spiritual renewal that lead to three permanent dimensions of spiritual life. They are reach up, which is Lord cleanse me, receive and respond, that is dear God fill me, and thirdly reach out, which is oh God please use me. And so, if you wanted to do a little bit of aerobic exercise this morning, you you could do the reach up. What is this? We lift our hands in prayer, all right? You want to do that? That won't hurt you. Reach up, Lord. I'm praying. Cleanse me, oh God, okay? Then like this. Receive and respond, all right? Receive. Fill me, Lord. And then what? Reach out and uh, use me, Lord. So, reach up. Receive, reach up, get it right, Gordon. Reach up, <clears throat> right, pray, receive and respond, right, and then reach out and touch others. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If you're going to have a river flowing out, you're going to need a river flowing in. Spiritual renewal on a personal level is dealing with all of those issues that separate us from a sense of the closeness, the nearness of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you'll notice that in much of what I'm describing, I will not be referring to the issue of reading and studying the Bible. That is a very good thing to do, obviously, right? And I don't have a text for this morning's message, so I will, I guess, I will say, if you have your Bibles… And you should, because that's a good thing. However, this morning we're not going to take a particular text. We're going to look at this three-part framework. But you'll notice that the emphasis is not on reading about God. It is experiencing the presence of God. If all you do is read a map and never take a trip, it really makes for a very dull life. You could be a great map reader, but it's much better to actually visit the the Himalayans, or to visit Mongolia, or to visit the Holy Land and to experience, you see, a real trip instead of just reading about it in travel logs and looking at maps. We love the Bible, we revere the Bible, but we do not idolize the Bible. We do not worship the Bible. We worship God, and as Moses said, show me your ways, show me your ways, but why? so that I can get to know you, so I can get to know you. You'll always need your Bible, but the greatest times you will have in your spiritual development will not be reading. It will be experiencing the touch of God upon your life. Revival is a corporate experience of spiritual renewal. So even the language is kind of interesting here. A person can go through periods of... um, just call it spiritual health, and then periods of spiritual disease. And um, unfortunately, the human condition, in our distress, we call upon God, and in our success, we tend to turn away from God. It's just so human. You ever hear of foxhole Christians? You know what a foxhole Christian is? You ever hear that phrase? It means someone who's hunkered down in a foxhole in a war, and uh, they're afraid they're going to die, and the bullets are flying, and the guns are going off, and the bombs are dropping. And so they get very, very religious and spiritual in that time. And they say, Dear God, if you ever get me out of this, if you get me through this, if I can live through this, if you get me out of this war, I'll serve you all the days of my life. All right. Well, then they get out of the foxhole, and they get back home, and they get back to normal life. And the experience of the foxhole Tends not to stick with them when they're on the streets of a city or the ballparks or wherever it may be. Foxhole Christianity. You ever hear about that? The um, <clears throat> the whole idea of being a genuinely spirit-filled, spirit-led is not a foxhole experience. Although, if that's what it takes, and you, I suppose, all of us at one time or another find ourselves in a foxhole with the bullets flying, and it makes us consider life much more seriously i think it was benjamin franklin who said the prospects of hanging wonderfully concentrate the mind right so thinking of your impending death may help you think better about the life you live but when we talk about spiritual life people can have renewal <clears throat> and we call it renewal when it's corporate we call it revival All right so personal spiritual renewal but if you add it all up in a group, it is often called corporate revival. <clears throat> this year, we have been exper- experiencing, feeling, sensing that there is a corporate experience shared by many. Now, you you can be in absolutely the worst school, the worst church, the worst place, and be personally in touch with God. Because... It, Your circumstances, it's never what's going on around you. It's always what's going on within you, you see. So you can live in the presence of God even though you are in a prison cell. But um, it's a very wonderful thing when maybe the person next to you is also, right? And you're not the only one. And perhaps you're not the only believer or you're not the only serious believer or you're not the only one who cares about the things of God. It's a wonderful thing to have some friends who care about the same thing. It's a really wonderful thing if you have a few hundred people. And as in the First Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening or the Welch Revival or the Azusa Revival or the Rain Revival or the Charismatic Renewal, when these collective expressions of personal renewal occur, this is what makes the history books and even allows me to do what I just did, identify specific periods of time when there was a corporate expression of a number of people experiencing the presence of God. When those things happen, things are different, things change. Often the schedules change, the length of the services change, the fervor of the singing changes, the uh, paying attention to the preaching of the Word, responding to the altar, praying, fasting, lots of things change, joy, exhilaration, a lot of things. And sometimes some very unusual, and I preached and shared, you know, focus on God, not on the odd. you remember that phrase from a previous message? But during periods of corporate revival, you will often see some very unusual things take place. And um, that's often how we define revival. We define it <clears throat> as those unusual, out-of-the-ordinary, extraordinary things that took place. What I'd like to do this morning is to set that in the broader context of what it means to be a continually spiritually alive person. But for just a moment, the phase two, that is receive and respond phase, fill me, Lord, with your presence. This is the phase we often describe. When we say something like this, and I've heard it so many times, oh, they're having a revival down at, and you pick the place, Brownsville. And uh, they go, They stand in line all day. They go to church all night. The services are five hours long. They run, jump, shout, hoot, holler, shiver, quake, shake, fall down, jump up, run around, and come back the next night and do it all over again. They are having revival, right? And sometimes on college campuses, the way it's described is we're having revival. Uh, the classes were all canceled. The chapel was filled. And students brought all the trash from their rooms and brought it down and put it on the altar. <clears throat> and back in the day, they would bring those rock and roll records and come and have a burning. Now you have CDs. I don't know what in the world we would burn up nowadays if you brought all the trash from your rooms. Because so much of it is carried around in your pocket in that one little technological device. So I don't know, maybe we would have a phone burning? I, I I doubt if people would be as willing to burn their phone as they were to burn that one old Elvis Presley record that was causing them so much spiritual trouble. But it's described in in certain ways. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's um, unfortunate because the life of ongoing spiritual renewal is not characterized by, by an ongoing set of very odd and unusual unusual circumstances as good and valuable and important as those phases are. So what I'm wanting to do is broaden the focus. That phase of revival, phase two, I would characterize as being much like an emergency room. Emergency rooms are exciting. It's a life and death experience. And I'm glad that uh, hospitals have emergency rooms. I've been taken to an emergency room on a couple of occasions, and I am glad those rooms are there. How many of you have been to the emergency room and you needed emergency attention? Okay, our older son, Jeffrey, is a medical doctor. He is an emergency room physician. And uh, a lot of people think that the emergency room is always a time of people running and jumping. Actually, he says, a lot of it's really boring, It's a festered splinter, a little something stuck in the eye, and a whole lot of colds and sniffles and whatnot. But there are times when it's a very exciting place. One Saturday, I was talking with Jeff on the phone. I said um, this is when he was doing his residency at the University of Chicago on the south side of Chicago in a very tough part of uh, Chicago said, so what would you do today? He said, oh man, did I, did I ever, ever have a day. He said, I was in the emergency room, I was the attending, uh, and really the one person in charge just, and um, all of a sudden they, a car full of kids rolled up in the emergency room, they all jumped out, and they drug this kid out of the car into the emergency room, and then the personnel there got a hold of this kid. But they'd had a fight a block south of the hospital, and as I recall, he said it was over a candy bar or something. But a bunch of young kids got into a fight. Someone took out a knife, stabbed this kid right here in the chest. He fell down, so his friends picked him up, threw him in a car, drove a block into the emergency uh, hospital, uh, emergency area of the hospital, and uh, they brought him in. Jeff was there. So the kid had a hole in his heart and it was bleeding profusely. Now, everything went from sniffles and splinters into high gear action. Jeff said he was there, he, they have uh, ways of contacting various uh, areas of the hospital. He said, I hit the buttons to call for the thoracic surgeons, these are the heart surgeons, but you have to do something right there, right on the spot, right at the moment. They ripped his, he and other people who were helping, ripped his shirt open. Hole in his chest. They took a small saw. Jeff started right here, sawed his sternum completely open. People pried his chest wide open. They put the clamps in to push his ribs out here like this so they could get to his heart. Jeff was there doing what he could, and the blood was coming out of his heart so profusely that to stop the flow of blood, he stuck his finger in this kid's heart. To stop the flow of blood. Right about that time, a couple of thoracic surgeons came running in, and these were specialists. They took over. Jeff stood back, having done his part. The kid died. He did not live through that stabbing. I thought, good grief, I, I can't imagine what you just did. He said, Yeah, it's quite a day. What'd you do, Dad? I said, Well I went to Target and got a bottle of shampoo. You know, it just it just not quite the same, you know, as the emergency room. So I'm glad they have emergency rooms. some people think of spiritual life as being an unending, continuous emergency room experience. All right? Because I say, we need the power of God, we need, and we do. And we need the presence of God, and we do. And we need the work of God, and we do. And phase two of revival is much like that phase, where there is a divine, and, and then our language have to be so, finally, God shows up, you know. He makes an appearance, he drops in, the hand of God moves, you know, God moves. You know, I have a vivid imagination, and I'm somewhat of a visual learner. So when people say, the hand of God fell, I mean, I have a video of that. I'm just trying to get the theology. I mean, was it the whole hand or just the hand? Boom. So anyway, I have trouble sometimes with the language that describes these things to get to the reality behind the hand of God fell or God moved, or things like that. Those times are very, very important, but the three phases of spiritual renewal that lead to three permanent dimensions are broader than that. So to very quickly touch upon them, you will often hear that phase two is preceded by two years of prayer and fasting. That, that's just a very common report because it's true. That happened in Wales with Evan Roberts. It happened in Azusa with Frank Bartleman and Seymour and the others. It's happened in many, many places. In fact, Frank Bartleman in the Azusa revival wrote Evan Roberts uh, in Wales. He said, how do you, what can you do to bring about a revival? And Roberts wrote back, he said, get the people to praying. So from about 1904 to 1906, there were two years of prayer at Azusa. That's not the part people talk about. What they talk about is 1906 to 1909, when phase two, and things exploded, and the hand of God fell, and God moved, and, and that's a wonderful thing to happen, but you need to see the bigger picture. Phase one is reach up. Cleanse me, Lord. Clean up the sanctuary. And when Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 29, taking over from his father... Wicked King Ahaz, a people in idolatry, a nation in apostasy, turning from God. The first thing he did is clean up the sanctuary, repair the doors, consecrate the priesthood, take out the defilement that was in the sanctuary, and restore it for spiritual activity. And that's a very, very good picture because for God to move into our hearts, God does not want to take up and will not take up residence next to a pile of trash and defilement. There is a cleansing period, and the period of a couple of years of praying, it takes time because, you know, there's a song, we don't sing it now very much, uh, just as I am, you know. Here's how we really sing that song down in the inner recesses of our soul just as I am and plan to be, right? All to Jesus I surrender. And then the Holy Spirit convicts you of some little thing, and you fight like a wild man to, give, to avoid surrendering some particular part of your body, your temple, which is the home for God, but where other things have taken the place of God in your life. And now this begins to get very sober. Hydrolatry is nothing more than things taking up God's space. That's all it is. Putting things in your life, your time schedule, your activities, your affections, that are taking up the place of God. And we think, I want to be spiritually alive. Yes, I do. All right. Then change your schedule. Well, uh, well, uh, and the battle begins to rage. The process of cleaning out the sanctuary does take some time because we wrestle with it. I've, um, Over the years, I've committed myself very, very deeply to endeavor to be the kind of leader that would provide opportunities for people to deal with spiritual issues, but not to be the kind of leader that would f- try to force people to do it. And this whole thing of prophetic preaching and calling people to repentance, it's always a very delicate thing. I could very easily point out the ills in American society, and every time you hear me preach, I could give you a report of some horrible thing that happened and, you know, and uh, talk about horrible things that are happening on college campuses and then talk about how horrible you are and, and you know, but I, I've really, years ago came to believe. It's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, not the short-term bashing of people that brings about genuine, long-term spiritual renewal, okay? The reason I mention that, the cover story for Time Magazine, November the 7th, has to do with anxiety, depression, and the American adolescent. It's interesting that Time Magazine would cover this. I will not deal with it here this morning. I will just make a few remarks that have to do with phase one and just one particular point of application to you. I think that one of the greatest difficulties Americans are having today, and especially young people, has to do with the way cell phones and the Internet has robbed them of time, has put into their mind, heart, and emotions, images and pictures and comparisons with other people, And I could now, can you see right at this point, if I wanted to launch into a rant and bash you for looking at your cell phone during chapel and point out people that I saw earlier in this very service on their cell I mean, I can feel the prophetic anger rising in me right now. But I don't believe that that, while it can have... A short-term reaction. I don't believe it gives a long-term response. But I would say that um, all of us, and I think especially young people, there is a war for your mind, your affections, your emotions, and the way that we deal with this one issue of our cell phones and our technology. We have this article deals with kids that are cutting themselves, uh, depression, anxiety. And it's, it's a horrible thing. They describe overexposure, total connectedness, hyperconnectivity, never giving your brain and your emotions a rest from it all. Comparison, right? I could just go through all of that. I would, that's, I'll do nothing more than what I've just said because in these few seconds here, everyone in the room in one way or another has had some kind of response to this issue of what might be taking up God's space in my life. So I'd make a suggestion. I've, um, I use technology, but I, I have ways of dealing with it. I turn off all of the alerts except the phone so that I don't get beeped at every eight seconds. You know, you know see who's beeping at me this time. I, I can't stand it, drive me crazy. On my deleted file on my computer in my office, I have over 28,000 deleted email messages. All right, I, I think they come at a rate of about one every 14 seconds. Beep! <clears throat> You'd be a nervous wreck if you try to respond to that. You have to get control of that, you understand? So here's what I would suggest. How about you consider praying and fasting your technology? Maybe take an hour a day where you turn it off, put it away, and you take control of it instead of it taking control of you. And that very little suggestion then throws you into a bit of a spiritual uh, battle. Can I do it? Would I do it? Because how many of you know there is something addictive about those beeps? Don't we know that? All right. Taking up God's space? All right. That's all I will say about it. But phase one is a period of time where we clean up God's temple and make room and space for God's presence. And that takes time. Phase two, receive, respond. Uh, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory will come in, right? Christ in you the hope of glory. It's amazing, amazingly wonderful when you get past faith, certain elements of phase one that are prohibiting you from experiencing God. You experience God, then there is the run, jump, shout, hoot, holler, shiver, quake, And um, I'm not going to take the time to read Jonathan Edwards, but a lot of the things we see in Pentecostal revival, people weeping, laughing, he talks about, people breaking out in bursts of laughter over the joy that comes when they know their sins are forgiven and they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. He talks about tears. He talks about people fainting and slumping. So electricity and the power of God will have an effect on your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body. Phase two of revival or renewal is when walking people fall down. Right, you're familiar with the, the notion of it can be called uh, being slain in the spirit. I don't like the word slain there, but uh, slumping under the power or, or wilting under the influence. I, there are different ways to word it, but when the power of God's presence, it will affect you, and sometimes there will be very unusual physical responses. That phase of revival, walking people fall down, that phase of renewal, seeing people are blinded. Remember the story of Paul? He was blinded. That's a physical experience that he had in his own journey with Christ and the Spirit and uh, that very unusual Damascus Road experience. And those things will affect you and will have a wonderful impact upon you. But there's a third phase, and that's not this phase two, receive, respond, but there's phase three, and that is reach out and be used of God. Phase three of revival is not like phase two. Phase two, receive, respond to me, for me. Phase three, reach out and be used through me for them. And phase three of spiritual renewal, it's very, very different. It's not like the emergency room. It's not like the revival night services. It's the ongoing being poured out for the good of others. Phase three of revival, lame people get up and blinded people are made to see. Do you see the difference? Phase two, walking people fall, revival activity. Seeing people are blinded through an intervention of God in their life, as with Paul. But phase three is a facet of our spiritual life where things are very, very different. Phase three is not filled with the excitement and the emotion that is often a part of phase two. That's where you pour your life out to others, and you give to others, not to get for yourself, but to be used of God. So phase three reach out, and be used of God. So here's the three-part framework. Spiritual renewal is an ongoing process where we totally, continually clean up and say, God, cleanse me, wash me, cleanse me. And you know what? God does it little by little and bit by bit. Um, he doesn't try to do it all at once. I'm telling you, that scrubbing would nearly kill you. If it didn't, in fact, kill you to try to do it all at once. And sometimes we, I think we Americans may be among the worst in the whole world about this. I want it all right now, very quickly, before, you know, no. It's an ongoing cleansing. It's an ongoing cleansing. And then receive, respond. Worship fervently. Lift your hands. Experience the presence of God. Dance before the Lord. Clap your hands and shout unto God. Those fervent responses. But then... Move into phase three. Go out and be used of God and help those who are broken be made whole. Help those who are blinded be made to see. Cleanse the leper. Cast out the demons and be used of God. So the three phases are those that are on the screen for you. I'd like you to stand with me now and we're going to go to prayer. Dear God, help us to reach up continually that we might be cleansed and that the temple might be cleansed of the defilements and even if they don't look like defilements they are space takers taking up God's place in our hearts help me to receive and respond fill me Lord fill me Lord last yesterday I had a busy day fundraising in the morning took my wife to the hospital to have her hand lanced open because she's had a terrible infection that's Followed a surgery. The afternoon, what did I do? I came down here, oh yeah, I was in an administrator's meeting in the afternoon. Went to a Christmas party last night. Read the, it was the night before Christmas with a bunch of students and ate cookies and it was fun. Went home, helped Diane soak her hand, put her to bed. Went into my office and the glory of God was there because the day was filled with frenetic revival activity no but because God is constant and for a couple of hours last night oh I marked some text in my Bible I marked a spot in Jonathan Edwards I pulled out this magazine so I could refer to that But the wonder of those two hours was just to be and sense and be enriched, nourished, refreshed, healed, rested by the presence of the Spirit of God, to be a person of the presence. So I'd like to call us again to a constant practice that we have. We will serve communion on this side. I think Doug told me, Anna, are you going to be serving communion? So would you come and on this side we will anoint you with oil and pray for you others will gather to hear your confessions we tell you now confess your sins don't confess your crimes that creates a problem but confess your sins and let someone pray with you that you might be cleansed right or share with someone so those who help in this spiritual activity would you come And students, would you you take an hour or half an hour and just pray, Lord, cleanse me, wash me. Show me the rooms in my life that need to be emptied that the King of glory can come in. Lord, if there's defilement, wash it, purge it, cleanse it that I might be clean, that I might be able to sense your presence. Then, Lord, use me. And let a river of life flow out of my innermost being. Let's find a place to pray. God bless you. Thank you, guests, for coming. I think you may have other activities. You can be dismissed. And now let's pray and let God do His work amongst us this morning. Thank God for His presence. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Thank you, Lord God.